Good morning, everybody. Happy National Leprosy Day, I guess. I'm not going to explain that. If you relate to the service, you don't get that reference, and uh, you just got to get here uh, early enough to hear the whole thing. But anyway, how many of you ha- have been out in public and you hear a conversation with some people you don't know, and you're something they say, uh, you know, piques your interest, and you just like got to kind of lean in and hear how the conversation goes. You eavesdrop. You're right. You're dropping the eaves, like they. Uh, said in the Lord of the Rings um, movie and book, right? But the um, eavesdropping in public, you've done that, admit it if you've done it before, you've like heard a conversation by some passersby and you're like, I'm going to lean in a little bit and hear this conversation. Yes. Thank you for being honest. The rest of you, shame on you for uh, not admitting it. You know you've done that before. So I was in uh, WizKids, the toy store in River Park Square Mall with my wife uh, a while ago. And we were um, looking around at the, at the toy store and, and walking through there, and I heard a conversation that I had to lean in for and kind of hear, hear some overhearing a conversation because it was about my, my, not about me, but it was about church. And I heard like a conversation about church in the wild, right? And so I'm like, I've got I've to tune in on this. I want to hear what they're saying about church, you know? And so it was, it was two young moms. I, um, at least one of them was a mom. I think they were both young moms walking through this toy store. And they were talking about church. And so I'm like, I'm totally tuned in. And I you know, found something to look at or whatever on uh, the aisle nearby so that I could listen to this conversation. And the conversation was one mom said to the other mom, so we started going to church recently. And the other mom was shocked. She's like, wow, okay, you're going to church. You don't seem like, I didn't really... Th- take you as a church type person, you know? And the church going mom said, yeah, well, you know, my daughter really wanted to go to church. And so we, we went, we, we've been going to church and we really, really like this church. And they, I'll leave the church that they mentioned nameless. Um, but they, for reasons they'll become clear in a moment. Uh, she said, well, yeah, we, we've been going to this church and I really like it. And here's the reason she said she really liked it. She says, I thought it was nice because they don't mention Jesus. Just let that settle for a second. I don't know how the rest of the conversation went. This was a while ago when, the, when this happened. But that, that, that story stands out to me for a couple of reasons, right? One, I hope that could never be said about this church, right? And it will never be said about this church um, on my watch, right? It won't ever be said about this church that we don't mention Jesus. Where he's kind of a big deal, you know, uh, to, to churches. And so um, that, that's something that's pretty important. But also it, this, this idea that Jesus is sort of a polarizing person you know, in our, in our society. And sometimes you'll hear people say, yeah, I like Jesus. I don't really like church or Christians. I don't think he came to start organized religion or something like that. But then other people just really are uncomfortable with Jesus, the idea of Jesus. But he's a big deal, as I said. He's what we're all about. He is who we serve. He is our Lord and our Savior. And so we are defined by, as Christians and as churches, by our relationship with Jesus. And we want to take a fresh look at the life and ministry of Jesus over the next few weeks. So together uh, from now through Easter Sunday, each week we're going to be looking at a story from the Gospels. And it'll be a story specifically about someone encountering Jesus. Jesus' life crossing paths with, with someone else's life and the meeting that takes place between Jesus and regular people and, and the difference that he makes, right? Jesus encounters these people and, and things change, right? Life is different. And he, he meets these people in, in very different and surprising ways sometimes. And through this, we want to learn about our relationship with Jesus. We want to also help other people meet Jesus, we want to see, I think we'll see a number of lessons through this about 
how we can introduce and match people up. We can be the people that point people towards Jesus. And so, um, you know, a few weeks ago, we celebrated the life of Jesus, right? Or the birth of, the birth of Jesus. And then from now through Easter Sunday, we'll be uh, studying his life, looking at these gospel accounts, which are eyewitness accounts, you know, written down, recorded for us so that we can learn um, about what Jesus did, what Jesus said. And it's important that we have a good picture in our mind about who Jesus is uh, because we're a church and because we're Christians gathering together, right? We, it's important that we uh, understand who Jesus is, but also we want to battle some of the false ideas about who Jesus is in our culture. There are many false ideas about who Jesus is or what Jesus was all about. You know, some people look at Jesus as sort of a good luck charm kind of thing. Right, you got the cross or something that people wear, and it's sort of like a just a token thing that they have. And it's if if you need like a little extra help with something, then you kind of look to Jesus. Like Jesus, can you please help me get through this tough situation or whatever? Uh, help my team win the game, you know, whatever the whatever the case may be. It's sort of Jesus as good luck charm, which is a false idea of of who Jesus is, or Jesus as just one of many great spiritual teachers. Right, in a long line of spiritual teachers, the people that came before him, people that came after him. But Jesus, Jesus won't let us get away with this if we really understand uh, what he said. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just one of many. He is the way, the truth, the life. Right? And so the, these false ideas that kind of battle in, in our culture about who Jesus is, what Jesus is all about, we want to be crystal clear on who Jesus is, and we want to be very focused on him during this time leading up to Easter, which is closer than you might think. It's coming up. April 9th, I think, is Easter Sunday. So we, we never get past Jesus. Let me make this very clear. As a church, we don't get past Jesus. We don't move on to like, yeah, Jesus is the one to bring salvation, and then we just kind of move past him, and we get on to the Apostle Paul or you know, other, other teachers, and, and we, we, just, we never get over Jesus. We will never get over Jesus. Jesus is the one uh, who, who is the, the, the founder of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that we look to. He's the one that we walk through this life with. He's our Lord and our Savior. And when we talk about those two terms, they're both important, right? Savior, we, we get this idea, right, that he's, our, he's the one who saves us from our sins. He's the one who brings salvation uh, to us. But he's also the Lord of our lives. He's the leader of our lives. He's the one that we follow and look to. We don't ever get past Jesus. We never get over what Jesus did. We, we don't move on from him to something else. John 15, Jesus talks about abiding in him, you know, living in him and staying attached to him. That like the branch doesn't bear any fruit if it's separated from the, from the vine. We, we need to be that vine that is, or the branch that is attached into Jesus and, and dwelling there with him and staying with him. So each week of this series, we're going to look at a story of someone meeting Jesus. Today we're in Matthew chapter 3. So go ahead and get ready for that. We're going to be talking about an encounter that Jesus had with John the Baptist. So when John the Baptist and Jesus um, interacted, this meeting between the two of them is the story that we're going to be looking at today. So John, or Matthew chapter 3, talking about John the Baptist. We'll start here in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Yum. (laughs) Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now we're going to stop right there for a few moments. We'll come back uh, to verse 13 through 17 um, in a few minutes here. But we're introduced to this character who is quite a character named John the Baptist. John the Baptist had this uh, very distinct appearance, very distinct lifestyle, right? He, he was dressed in this camel's hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and that's significant. Um, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment here. But John the Baptist comes in, and he has this ministry that is unique. He is calling out like a voice in the wilderness saying, make the, the, the path of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight, and he's calling people to repentance. He's saying, what, what in your life does not match up with what God is calling you to? And he's this kind of gap character between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's this Old Testament prophet. He's very similar to Elijah in many ways as far as where his ministry took place and even his appearance. And in fact, the, to the original Jewish content, context, hearing this story about John the Baptist, th- this would have been, his, his attire would have been like a, um, almost like an Elijah uniform, right? Like if you're wearing... Um, the, if I had blue tights and like, um, and a red cape, you know, you'd say you're, you're wearing, why are you wearing like a Superman outfit, outfit, you know? And I wouldn't do that, but wouldn't that be funny if I did the sermon in a Superman outfit? But, but the, the people seeing John the Baptist would have been feeling like, Hey, you're wearing the Elijah outfit. You're like the old Testament prophet, Elijah. And there's this quote from the book of Isaiah. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. He is preparing a road, preparing a highway, preparing a place for a grand entrance of of the Messiah, right? This is in the ancient times when some great conquering hero or a great king would come and visit a place. You know, they would prepare the road for them. They would make sure that the road was paved or cleared in some way, for the grand entrance, that the person would come as this conquering hero or a great powerful leader and there would be a nice processional for them to, to take place in the city or whatever it might, might be. And this is the reference here, that Elijah is the person just, he's making the path ready. He's this voice crying out in the wilderness. And his ministry took place where he's calling these people to repentance and he's, he's, call, and he's washing them in water. He is baptizing them in water as a cleansing, as a symbol of what 
um, of the cleansing that's taking place, this repentance, turning away from sin, turning toward the living God. John the Baptist is calling his nation. He's saying, you're not living up to the covenant that God has made with you, and you're not fulfilling your end of the deal. And so you need to repent because something powerful is happening. This is a pivotal moment here for our nation. I'm preparing the path for the Messiah, and you, you need to make yourself ready to meet him. And this ministry takes place at the Jordan River. He's baptizing them in, in the Jordan. And if we know the story of the Jordan River from the scriptures, we know this is an important place. Right? This is the river that goes between the Sea of Galilee and the, and the Dead Sea. It's not a super impressive river. It probably looks something like the Little Spokane River, nothing like the, the Spokane River that's just a block away from here. It's a small stream, but it's a place where some important events had happened. And if you, in the story of the nation of Israel entering into the promised land, right? When they are coming into the promised land and they have to cross the river and it's the, the river's in its flood stage. It's the springtime where it's just full of water and they somehow have to, have to get this giant nation across the river. And Joshua has the priests wade into the river, like knee deep, you know, with the Ark of the Covenant. And then God stops the Jordan River and the nation crosses through on dry ground. And then they pile up some stones to remember God's provision in this moment that God met them in a miraculous way at this time in this place. And he says, someday you're going to be traveling through this place with your children and they're going to say, what are those rocks piled up there? Dad, what do those rocks mean? And you're supposed to tell them the story of how God provided for you in this place. Later, Elijah and Elisha, who we're, we're mentioning, they were on the run from uh, evil King Ahab who was going after Elijah and the Jordan River was the place where they lived in the Judean wilderness. And they, Elijah, too, crossed the river by striking it with his cloak. And through God's miraculous power, the river stopped and he was able to cross through on dry ground. But this is a place that's unique. This is a place that's special. And, of course, John the Baptist would have known this. And the nation of Israel that gathered would have known this as well. I would say that the Jordan River is a thin place. And here's what I mean by this term. I first heard this a few years ago. This is a term that Celtic Christians, like ancient Celtic Christians in Ireland, that when they came to Christ, this was a, a, a way that they described a place where God met humanity in a unique way, a geographic location where God um, met with his people or, or d provided for them in some kind of special way or the distance, the gap between heaven and earth seemed a little thinner in places like this. I want to read from an article that I found this week that I really enjoyed talking about this idea of thin places. It says the ancient Celtic Christians used this term thin place. Timothy George in another article writes that these places are special not because the air is rarefied or the land is narrow, but because the distance between heaven and earth shrinks and time and eternity embrace. The Celtic believers thought of thin places as physical geographic locations where the barrier between heaven and earth is porous because the Lord and his kindness met a person there. These places are peppered throughout the Bible's narrative. From Eden to a burning bush, from the banks of the Nile to the summit of Mount Carmel, from stables in Bethlehem to Mars Hill, major moments in salvation history occurred in thin places. I like to think of our church as one of these places, right, where the, the gap between heaven and earth is just a little bit, little bit smaller. That when we gather like this, we meet with the living God and we encounter his presence and we are ushered into his presence in our times of worship. 
But the Jordan River was this unique geographical location that was very significant in the Bible. And this is where this, these baptisms are taking place. Let's continue reading now, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus is it fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist and Jesus meet in this, in this moment. We don't think this is the first time they met. They were re- related somehow. Their moms were related to each other. Maybe they were like second cousins or first cousins once removed. It's not exactly laid out for us in Scripture how they knew each other. But if you read earlier in the Gospels, you know that there's a, there's a family connection there. But this moment occurs where Jesus comes to the scene where all these crowds are gathered together to be baptized by John the Baptist. And the baptism that John the Baptist is offering is a baptism for repentance of sins. It's a cleansing. Typically in this culture, baptism would be something that a Jewish convert would do when they are converted. Or the high priest would do before they would go into the most holy place in the temple. Baptism was not um, uh, common in other circumstances, but John the Baptist in this moment was saying, you need to be cleansed spiritually, and you're going to, this physical representation of this is going to be um, this baptism in the, in the Jordan River. And John comes, John sees Jesus and he says, I'm not worthy to carry your sandals, right? This is what it was said in the, in the verses before what we just read. Not even carry your sandals. I'm not worthy to carry them. Um, this is a reference to the, the servants and the foot washing and what would take place in the ancient culture. You're traveling with your sandals and picking up the dust of the roads that you're traveling upon. And then you come to a place and you sit down for a meal and, and you would wash your feet because it would be gross to eat with dirty feet. The way people ate at the time would be reclining. And so your feet would be probably near the person you're sitting next to. And so you would wash your feet. And the lowest status person, unless there was a servant to carry out this task, would be the person who would wash their feet. And, and John's saying, I'm not even the level of like touching his sandals. He's so far up above me. And he says, when Jesus comes down to be baptized, he says, I, this doesn't compute, Jesus, does not compute here. I don't understand what, why am I baptizing you? I need to be baptized by you. This is about purification for repentance of sin. So Jesus, why would you be here in this moment? And I think a couple of reasons that, that why we understand that Jesus did this with John the Baptist here. I think one is that Jesus was identifying with the people that he came to save. Jesus, during his ministry, he's, he's taking on the, the, his important ministry on the cross that he would be dying for their sins and he's there identifying, he's among the sinners. He's with them, identifying with with them in their time of need, with what their struggle is, and he's there with them. Not that he had any sins that he needed to repent of, but he's there identifying with the people that he came to save. And then maybe another idea going on here, I mentioned that the priests would purify themselves before they would go in and enter the most holy place that one time of year on the Day of Atonement, and that maybe Jesus is doing that. 
He's as our perfect high priest, purifying, you know, washing himself in the, in the river before he will eventually offer the sacrifice for our sins. He's our perfect priest. Um, a theological note for you in this, in this uh, passage here is that we are Trinitarian people as Christians. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God in three persons, the Trinity. And if anyone ever wonders, you know, why would you believe something like that? That seems hard to wrap your mind around. Why, why are Christians all about the Trinity? This is one of the passages you can point them to. Because we see all three members of the Trinity present in this story. We see Jesus, God the Son, is there being baptized. We see God the Father, this voice from heaven, speaking these words of blessing over his Son. And then we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. All three members of the Trinity show up in, in this passage, and they're all present. They're all doing different things, right? But all members of the Trinity are, are there. One of the aspects of the Trinity, the practical aspect of that, is that we believe that God is e- eternally, um, co- you know, has, has been there for eternity, no beginning, no end, and that the Trinity existed forever in this relational environment, this bond of love between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we're, we believe we're invited into this relationship, that God is love, has existed in love always, and this love being shared between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're invited into this relationship with our creator that's existed forever. Another note here that I think is, is profound about this story, this, this Jesus goes down into the water. He says, it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It says, he came up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And there's this voice. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This voice from heaven comes at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This baptism kicks off his ministry. His ministry begins after this, right? Begins assembling disciples and teaching and doing miracles. But up until this point, he's not done anything. What is the father so proud of? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. You're very proud and pleased with your, with your son here. What, what is it about him that's so pleasing in this moment? Was he, it's the amazing carpentry work that he did up until now. You know, is that, is that what, it, what it is? I, I think we see in this, this part of the story, the gospel. Right before Jesus ever carried out any of his public ministry, the father is pleased with him because of who he is. His identity and when we begin a relationship with Jesus, we are invited into that. We are invited to be, the way the Father views the Son, we are invited to be viewed that same way by the Father. Not because of what we did, not because of all the amazing things that we bring to the table. In fact, we bring nothing to the table. We come with just our need to Jesus. But then the Father views us because of Jesus as his beloved sons and daughters with whom he is well pleased just because of our identity, just because who we are, just because of how Jesus makes us, because of his provision for us. John the Baptist in his ministry here, he, he comes in with this kind of guns blazing, right? He comes in with these harsh words for, for people, but it's still the gospel. It is the good news that they need to it's, it's harsh in the sense that it might have been tough to hear, but they needed to hear it. Um, 
repent because the kingdom of heaven is here and you got, we're preparing the road for the Messiah that's marching into town right now and we've got to be ready for him. And his ministry is all about directing people towards Jesus. He's just pointing people towards Jesus. Later, he, he will see um, in the Gospel of John, it tells us that he points people towards Jesus specifically by saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist sees Jesus. says, this is the person who I saw the Holy Spirit descending on like a dove. And that sends people to Jesus, literally. Some of his disciples, we think uh, definitely Andrew and probably John, were John the Baptist's disciples before they came Jesus, became Jesus' disciples. And then after this announcement, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, people began to move from John the Baptist to, to Jesus. Began to leave John the Baptist and began to follow Jesus. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30 tell us of this kind of transitional moment between John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry. And some of the disciples may be feeling like there was a little bit of a rivalry between the two. I want to read this passage because it gives us some insight into who John was and, and what this was about, this kind of moment and what, what John uh, was doing in his ministry. So John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at, what do you guys think? Enon, near, near Salim, because water was plentiful there. Thanks, everybody. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification, and they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This moment here really gives us some insight into John the Baptist's character. Because think about this. Like you go from being very popular, lots of crowds, lots of people coming to hear you speak and coming to hear your message and responding to the message and it's this, this like, I, something's really happening here. This is very exciting. And his disciples are, uh, you know, this is, God's really doing something with us here. And now there's this moment of transition between John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus' ministry. And the disciples are feeling some feelings about it. The one that you bore witness to, they're all leaving us and they're going to follow him now. John, is that okay? Should we have them come back? Should we, you know, is, what do you think about this? And John says, everything I had before I had because God gave it to me. And he said, I, I, there's a conversation that he references that is had elsewhere where people were wondering, are, John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? We see something happening here that's profound. All these people are coming to you. There's this, God is clearly working here. Are you the Messiah? John's, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. And he bears witness and he, he says, no, Jesus is the Messiah, hear, hear him. And then he gives a couple of examples, right? Or one example here, he said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. But the one who has the bride, that's the bridegroom. If you're um, in a wedding, 
and you have, uh, you know, the weddings, if you're just a part of the wedding party, it turns out the wedding's not about you, right? It's not, you're just kind of there to help out. Um, you're, you're there, if you're, maybe you're the best man at the, at the wedding, right? You're there to hold the rings. You're there to just be supportive of the groom. And this is what John the Baptist is saying. He's like, I'm just a member of the wedding party, but the bridegroom is here for his bride. And I'm there just rejoicing. I'm the one who's just so excited for my friend. And my joy is complete now. And then he says these powerful words, he must increase, but I must decrease. The, the ego aspect of this is, is challenging, right? When you think about just what this must have meant for John the Baptist to go from kind of riding this wave of popularity, so to speak, to now seeing that Jesus is here and him directing everybody as much as possible to Jesus, John the Baptist just recedes. He just kind of fades into the background. And his ministry is sort of like the shooting star, right? He just appears for a little while, this bright blaze, and then he's gone. There's a reference that he has yet to have been arrested, right? He was going to be arrested by King Herod. John the Baptist, the truth teller, told the truth to King Herod. And it ended eventually with him being put to death, him dying, going into a prison, never coming out of that prison alive. And John the Baptist's ministry was all about just pointing people towards Jesus. When you think about his life and the way that he interacted with Jesus in just this brief moment at the beginning of the Gospels, there's a lot about the way we follow Jesus in our role as followers of Christ that, that parallels with John the Baptist's ministry. John simply was preparing people to meet Jesus, right? He drew a crowd and then directed that crowd to Jesus. That is the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. He's the perfect lamb of God. So that when Jesus' ministry began, he didn't start from scratch. He was borrowing John the Baptist's credibility at the very beginning, that he was this known person that, that, that people were following. And he began his ministry with the benefit of having John the Baptist paving the way literally for him. Not literally, figuratively. Right? He's preparing the way for, uh, for Jesus so that he's, he's walking on this path that John the Baptist had prepared. So what if John hadn't been there? What if God hadn't called John to do this very specific role? Or what if God did call him, but he just wasn't willing? He's like, no, I kind of like the acclaim. I kind of like having all these fans and followers and people that are coming out to hear me speak and getting the attention of King Herod. And I, I like how this feels. And I, wanna, I want this to continue, right? Man, what, what a problem that would have been. And I, God would have found a way around that, of course. But John needed to be very purposeful and very humble in this moment. This is about Jesus. God's called me to do this very specific role. I'm like the bridegroom at the wedding, or I'm like the bridegroom's friend at the wedding. I'm there to support the groom. He must increase. I must decrease. This is the call of the Christian life for us too, that we want to lift up Jesus. We want to magnify him. We want to get out of the way we want to be a support as much as possible. Say, hey, everyone, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is what we do as followers of Christ. We want to raise up Jesus. Lift him up, as the word says, so that he will draw all people to himself when he is raised up. When you've been to a concert, you know, there's usually someone there introducing the show 
uh, introducing the main act. You know, you've got these opener, opener acts, you've got the, the, and then the main event, the one that people are, are there to see. And the MC at the concert, concert, right, the person, the announcer that's up there introducing everybody, um, I, I think that might be challenging with their ego a little bit too, right? Like I stood up in front of this giant crowd that was not there to see me, right? They were there to see somebody else. And I got them all fired up for the main event and then I just disappeared, right, and let them enjoy the show. This is what John the Baptist is doing. He's like the MC at the concert. He's there saying, and now our main event introducing <laughs> Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. This, is, this calls for humility. This calls for a sense of purpose. You know, we, we sometimes get confused about what the most important thing is, and there's, there's been plenty of examples of people trying to promote themselves instead of promoting Jesus. But the call upon our life is the same as it was for John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. There's so many anonymous people in, in Christian history. There's, there's names that stand out to us that we know, and then there's other names that have just kind of faded away, and, and we don't really know them. People that have introduced people to Jesus, and then those people went on to accomplish amazing things and maybe became well-known people. There's one in particular named Edward Kimball, who was... Um, in Detroit, he, he, he was a Sunday school teacher at a church in the 1800s. And he, there was a teenage boy, 17-year-old kid who worked at a shoe store in Detroit. This boy's name was Dwight. Um, and he, he went in, he went after this young man. He's like, I pursued him to, so that he might come to church. And he shared the gospel with him in the shoe store, and he came to Christ. And he would come to church, but he, would, he tended to fall, fall asleep in, uh, in the Sunday school class, right? And he did, like, I don't really know anything about the Bible, but he, he, sh he felt like he didn't even do a good job at sharing the gospel with this young man. But this young man, Dwight, um, grew up to be someone named Dwight L. Moody, who ended up sharing the gospel with 100 million people back in the 1800s, in the days before, you know, mass media, right? It was just newspapers and things like that. There was no radio, uh, certainly no TV or anything like that. D.L. Moody went on to share the gospel with millions of people because this guy who's sort of lost to history, except well, I guess we do know his name, Edward Kimball, who was just a regular person following Jesus and pointing people towards Jesus. Uh, can I introduce you to, to someone that's very important to me? Can I help you to know Jesus? Can I point towards him? Can I help you see him? I think uh, all of us at different times in our life want to be, be big shots. We want to be important or feel like we um, have accomplished great things and have the respect of people around us. But what if our greatest contribution to God's kingdom is not something that we do, but someone that we point to Jesus? What if our greatest contribution in, in our lifespan is that we pointed someone to Jesus or we pointed several people to Jesus and they came to Christ and things were different because that person came to Christ we, we do this ministry every summer, summer of service, and we do these UGM camps, and we take all these kids from our neighborhood to, to camp and, and, and things. And we all, my, my wife and I will sometimes talk about, what if, what if we got a future Billy Graham that we're sharing the gospel with? And we're, we're just faithfully pointing people towards Jesus, and we never know where that's going to go. We never know what God has planned when we share the gospel with somebody. When we say, I want you to meet someone. I want you to meet Jesus. He's really important to me.
We, we never know. But we need to faithfully point people to Jesus. He must increase. We must decrease. Let's lift up Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of uh, studying the life of John the Baptist and the way that he met Jesus. And I thank you for what you did through John the Baptist's short ministry. That he appeared for a while, that he drew people to Jesus and then pointed them and just faded away. Lord, may, may we be like that. May we have the kind of egos that can take that, Lord, that, that we can have that kind of humility to just point people to Jesus and then allow Jesus to do his work in their lives. I thank you so much for this place, Lord, this church, this family that you've um, allowed us to be so focused on Jesus and his ministry in our lives. And I pray that as we study the life of Jesus over the coming weeks, Lord, that you would help us to just fall more deeply in love with your son. Help us to know him better. Help us to model our lives after him um, more accurately. Help us to abide in him, Lord. We want to lift him up so that he will draw people to himself. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room uh, or watching online who has yet to put their faith in your son. I pray, Lord, that you draw them to yourself right now. Lord, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The salvation is freely offered for any to receive. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone who, who needs to do that today that hasn't put their faith in you, I pray right now, bring them into your family. Help them to say even a simple prayer, something like, I believe in you. Help me to follow you. And then, Lord, may your grace change everything in their lives. Lord, when we meet you, we get to be a new creation because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, I pray that that would be true of anyone in this room or anyone viewing online who has yet to do this. Lord, bring people into your relationship with you. And Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be uh, people that can just point people towards you. Help us to also have the boldness of John the Baptist. To, to say that a world, there is a world that desperately needs a savior and, a, and, a, and Jesus to lead their lives. Help us to be unafraid of what people might think of us. And, and Lord, help us to be bold and help us to be loving. Help us to spread the good news far and wide. And Lord, may this be a place always where people come to hear about Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this wonderful time with you uh, today. I pray that you bless your people now as we lift up our voices to sing your, sing your praises once again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you stand?